You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. It's great to be back. Um, uh, last week, we spent a lot of time talking about the DREAM Act uh, and um, what was going to happen if Congress passed it. Uh, and, of course, we know what happened, don't we? We know what happened. In disappointing fashion, uh, the United States Senate... Um, uh, addressed four separate proposals. It wasn't quite the uh, free-for-all that McConnell led uh, Mr. Schumer to believe it would be, where a bill would be on the floor and they could amend this and amend that, uh, and uh, they just couldn't get 60 votes to get anything put into the language of the bill. Um, and I will tell you, there is one reason why they couldn't get 60 votes, uh, and that's because Donald Trump lobbied against it every bill that was bipartisan that would have gotten 60 votes. Uh, they were able to get 54 votes, really technically 57. Three Democrats voted against uh, the, the best of the bills, but only when it became apparent it wouldn't get to 60. And I still haven't figured out why the two New Mexico Democratic senators voted against the DREAM Act. I'm still working on that. And I don't know why Kamala Harris decided to vote against the DREAM Act, other than to argue that it did not properly account for family-based immigration or it hurt family-based immigration in a way, uh, because she's clearly running for president. Because, David, we definitely need another first-term senator running for president. Um, absolutely need that. Um, write that down. <laughs> um, so let's look at what uh, what Trump did uh, last week. What, what was, and, and of course, this all happened in the midst of that horrific school shooting in Florida. Um, and so the school shooting on Florida is, is Wednesday. They're having the vote Thursday. David was just a horrible, horrible thing, uh, to, 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 to have happen, uh, at any time. And then right in the middle of the, the Dream Act debate, uh, it was just terrible. So Wednesday night, um, the, uh, uh, the Trump administration made a commitment that they were going to bury the Dream Act. Uh, that was at 10.30 in the evening, Wednesday night, after, of course, the shooting in, in Florida. Um, and uh, it was done uh, by uh, different people at the Department of Security Department that uh, they wanted to, uh, to argue that the measure would blow open the U.S. borders to lawless intruders. That was uh, that was the sign. Now, David, you you've been involved around politics a long time. You know these they do th- strange things. Have you ever heard of the administration, whatever administration, Republican Democrat, actually having their individual departments lobby against a pending piece of legislation? My guess is that I'm sure they have, uh, but. To my knowledge, I can't. Nothing comes to mind, right? You can't think of anything, right? Uh, I went back and looked. And um, while, of course, uh, cabinet secretaries and stuff. Well, yeah, but they lobbying, you know, that's a little bit different because those are the experts, right? And the military wants this, and Congress says that, and okay, we don't get what we want. Uh, but here you had the administration the night after there had been a bipartisan deal announced. You then had the administration come out in a series of p- press releases to give false information about what the proposal would do and to use this to swing uh, about four votes 
to the side of voting against the bill, including the, the bill, Dream Bill's Dream Act's original sponsor, uh, Orrin Hatch, and some members of the team that negotiated, the, the, the bipartisan that negotiated the bill. You had, for example, uh, Dean Heller from Nevada, who is going to lose his reelection because of this, by the way, vote against the bill. Um, and so what they did, uh, there was a flurry of attacks from the DHS and the Justice Department. And then, finally, <coughs> Trump issued a veto threat. Uh, uh, against the bill, um, and then it, it simply died. It was an extraordinary strategy to sabotage a bill that, after weeks of intense bipartisan negotiation, uh, it became clear that the only obstacle to passing it was Donald Trump. Now, I would remind our listeners, this is the same Donald Trump who said, get me a bipartisan bill, and even if I don't like it, I will sign it. Remember he said that? I remember him saying that. Um, and uh, this is uh, what is clear, uh, more clear evidence that either Donald Trump is a psychopath uh, or he's a liar. Well, he is a liar. We know that. Uh, he's either a psychopath uh, or he is so beholden to the uh, pro-abortion, anti-immigrant uh, uh, leadership in uh, President Miller and President Kelly that he literally cannot overcome them. He, can't, he, he literally will, will, will simply agree to what they do. Um, but perhaps more evidence that the last person who gets to Trump is the one um, uh, who, uh, who, who will be able to convince him. Remember in the fall he said to the Dreamers, oh, you know what, if it's going to end, I, I will extend it. Rest easy, we will take care of this. Uh, but in the end, he remained loyal to the anti-immigration movement, to the know-nothings, uh, and uh, the GOP centrists uh, uh, are now asking whether Trump ever really wanted to end a deal. So here's Donald Trump, who created the problem of dreamers losing their status. He literally created the problem by ending DACA. Now, DACA is back in place. Did you know that, David? DACA is back in place. You knew that from our last show. Uh, because of the courts have intervened and said, yeah, Donald Trump, you have the authority in DACA. You just have to do it legally to follow the APA. And the rather bizarre legal maneuver by the um, uh, by the Sessions Justice Department to not seek a stay of those orders, either in the Ninth or in the, I mean, in, in, the, in California or, or New York, that would be the Ninth or the Second Circuit, uh, not seeking a stay, and instead going right to the Supreme Court and asking the Supreme Court to rule on this on a, on a rather obscure Supreme Court rule that hadn't been used in about 20 years. Um, and we're going to learn this week whether the Supreme Court takes the case or not. They may send it back to them and say, oh, sorry, you go back. Um, uh, as uh, one lawyer said, uh, people will begin the This is hilarious because I know Enrique, it's Enrique Gonzalez, who was an advisor to Rubio. He said this, quote, people will begin to question the president's credibility over the statements that he feels empathy for these young people. I love you, Enrique. Um, but that would be classified in the understatement category. People of rational mind and thought already know Donald Trump is a liar. Uh, that that That's evident in everything he says and does. So we, we simply can't believe him going forward. So the question is, David, what, what happens now? Um, uh, what are we going to, uh, uh, you know, and, and what happens to these kids going forward? Well, hopefully all of them are applying for renewal. 
uh, that regardless of when it expires, many of them have given the Pavlovian response, well, it doesn't expire, I can only apply six months beforehand. No, you can apply now. Everybody can apply for DACA renewal. And so all 700,000 kids should be sending in applications to renew right now. Um, and if they're not doing that, they're making, a, they're making a strategic and tragic mistake about their ability to get extended work authorizations. Even if they only get six more months, it gets them through the next election. Um, now, here is, uh, here's the thing that's also interesting. Uh, these 700, 800,000 kids with DACA, Dave, they have jobs. Almost all of them have jobs. Um, where are you going to get seven, 800,000 people who don't have jobs to replace them? Where, where are they coming from? Anybody have anybody raise their hand if they know where they're coming from? Yeah, nobody's raising their hand because they don't exist. Once your employment rate is below 5%, um, I think they call that, as my grandmother would say, the bottom of the pickle barrel. Uh, uh, if you ever want to know what a bottle of pickle barrel looks like, uh, go take a look at it on the Internet. Uh, it is not uh, It is not a f- labor force uh, that is going to do the same work as committed, dedicated, and fully trained DACA recipients have been doing for their employers across the broad spectrum uh, uh, of American society, including as doctors. Uh, there are a number of DACA kids in, in medical school. They're, they are in law schools. Uh, they're doing accounting. They are doing day labor. They're cooks. They're chefs. They're business owners. They're, they're paralegals. They are uh, receptionists. They are every aspect um, uh, of the case uh, of American workforce. And we really have no way to essentially uh, replace them. They, they just don't, they just don't exist. Um, and because the Donald, the Trump administration has literally actively worked against solving an immigration problem without destroying future immigration to America, which is not going to happen. It's, that, literally, that's not going to happen. Um, we are at a crossroads. Uh, and so this means that there is unlikely to be any immigration uh, uh, legislation that it positively impacts America uh, through the rest of this particular this year. Now there are several things coming up that do need to be extended, and there is another budget uh, uh, bill deadline in March. And I am curious to see whether the uh, Democrats will say, you know what, we didn't get what we wanted last time, and this time we are going to shut down the government in March, and we're going to do it until we have a, an actual vote on an actual Dream Act. Um, and uh, if Trump wants to, to, to litigate against that, if Trump wants to stop it, screw him and the horse he rode in on. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Democrats will go along to get along and rest their hopes uh, in uh, 2018. Uh, you know what's interesting, David, is uh, if you look back at time, of course, if you go back far enough, uh, Democrats are Republicans and Republicans are Democrats. I mean, we go back to the time of Lincoln, what Lincoln stood for, a lot of what Lincoln stood for today you'd find in the Democratic Party, what a lot of what the Democrats stood for at the time you'd find in the Republican Party. Uh, it's just a nature and transition of, of, of time and politics. Um, but even if you go back only a decade, you would see that there were many Democrats who uh, didn't want the DREAM Act, who were voting against DREAMers, who were um, not really in favor of the types of immigration that we currently have today. Uh, it was really, quote, big business that was pushing uh, the current immigration system that we have in the context of the numbers and how the system works. 
uh, mostly. Um, but now today, uh, immigration uh, has uh, really become uh, thoroughly ingrained with the Democrats and Republicans who are, um, I guess, so worried about their future so worried about whether they can maintain a brand past the current uh, uh, generation that is uh, uh, that is approaching uh, the end years of their lives. Um, you know, their only hope is that we eliminate immigration uh, and limit the number of people who aren't white coming to America so that they can maintain their brand, I guess. It's a little unclear now why they're doing this rather than advocating for and to immigrants about why they should be Republicans, they instead try to limit uh, the ability of people to come to America to ever become or have the chance to become Democrats or Republicans. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a poll that just came out. Uh, they, asked they asked me what Democrats stood for, and immigration was one of the biggest uh, words in the word cloud that people used. Uh, immigration apparently is a mainstay of how people saw the Democratic Party. Uh, and uh, uh, it is, it's interesting to see, um, given, given Trump's comments about immigrants, uh, that it's easy to see why Latino voters would be turned off and might motivate folks, Latinos, to turn out in huge numbers uh, against Trump. But that did not happen because for Latino voters, the biggest issue was the economy. Um, and the Latino turnout rate d actually declined from Obama 2012 to Hillary 2016 from 48 to 47.6%. Uh, so... Uh, despite immigration being a pillar of the party, Democrats have a serious problem, particularly as we come up here to November 2018. Let's take a quick break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verifying your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Um, we've been talking, kind of dissecting uh, the DREAM Act here and um, what what could happen this year. Um, and, uh, you know, if Democrats simply assume uh, that all voters, uh, uh, Latino voters and immigrant voters, are going to be Democrats, that's, see, that's what Republicans presume. This is really interesting. You, and, and you know how I know that, David. Um, because um, the uh, leading Republican in America said so. Uh, and do you want to know who that was, by the way? Curious? That's Rush Limbaugh. You've heard of Rush Limbaugh? 
God. Uh, he has a small little radio show uh, that he does every couple days. Uh, but Rush Limbaugh came out and uh, actually said uh, that um, uh, he would be happy. So he said, I'll tell you what. I'll make you another deal right here, Limbaugh said on Fox News Sunday, channeling his inter-presidential, inter- President Donald Trump. Quote, I would be willing to, su- right here, to support an effort to grant permanent resident citizenship to whatever number, whatever that is, permanent citizenship, because I guess there could be temporary citizenship, to whatever number of illegal immigrants there are in the country today, if you will make, as part of a deal, they can't vote for 15 to 25 years. I don't think he has the power to do that, even though he has EB Broadcasting. Well, I, this is this. I, I think he's uh, pretending he's president. Oh. All right, uh, pretending he's president. Um, and if they'll agree to that, then I'll grant them amnesty. That that that's what Trump says. That's what Trump says. Um, and it's interesting uh, because he, he, here's also what he says: "Quote." It's a political issue that Democrats do not want solved. Um, all this is is an effort by the Democratic Party to provide themselves a current provide themselves a current underclass. They need a permanent underclass that is dependent dependent on the government for their survival. Well, if they want a permanent underclass, that's true. Immigrants are the wrong group. <laughs> because they're not dependent. They are actually proving themselves to be independent of the government for their survival. Um but logic and facts don't make much difference to Mush Limbaugh. Um, but I, I don't disagree with him that the Democrats have intentionally in the past not solved this. As you and I talked about the, the, the Obama waste of time uh, in his first two years in office when he could have fixed the issue and just simply did not. Um, and uh, it is really interesting to see that this, it's really about voting and power that that Republicans are afraid to legalize dreamers and their and their parents instead of competing in the marketplace of ideas. I, and David, you and I have mentioned this before. Many many uh, uh, immigrants are natural Republicans. I, you know, they're natural. If you drive, if you drive down, the, what, what what makes, generally speaking, a Republican? Or what makes a conservative? Capitalism. Is right. that an incorrect statement? I think it's absolutely true. Absolutely true. Capitalism. So you drive down the street, or you drive down my street on Friday when uh, Alejandro is doing most of the yards in my neighborhood, and you tell me that he's not a capitalist. <laughs> I mean, and he goes home to his family every night. He's got a great family. They go to church on Sunday. Uh, they 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 vote in many ways. Uh, they would vote in many ways as a Republican would vote. Um, so what are Republicans afraid of? Their own stupidity, I think. I, I think that's what it is. They're afraid of their own stupidity. They could actually capture, if they were pro-immigrant, a permanent majority, at least a generational majority in America. But instead, because of things said and done by Donald Trump and by Mitt Romney, Let's not take Romney blameless. Oh, he's here. your boy. He's going to run for. Yeah, Senate. we'll talk about Romney in a minute. You know, uh, and um, so they are literally chasing away voters in the hopes that every white person in America will vote for them. 
and uh, uh, what's her name? That, that Cruella Deville and uh, Coulter uh, even said this. Look, we need to get all the white people to vote in America, and we can win. Instead of going for the cross section of America that really makes you stronger as a party, see, right now the GOP is and the Dems are very much playing race politics. The Democrats obviously don't have the voting power in this in the House and the Senate, and they are setting themselves up in a way to not take advantage of what historically are disastrous midterms for the party sitting in the White House. Midterms that Obama was wildly unprepared for uh, when he got destroyed and the Democrat Republicans took, what, 60 seats back or some crazy number like that? Uh, the Democrats need, what's the number, David, 30 seats, 25 seats, something like that, to get, to get the, the majority in the House. And they're not, do, they're not, they're putting up candidates, but they're not selling their message. And, the, and if they're selling their message, it's on to people who don't vote. Uh, I think that the Democrats are setting themselves up here for what could be a disastrous midterm for them, where they don't take back the House, where they don't get uh, seats, where they don't get uh, control of the Senate. And if Trump remains in the kind of power that he has for the next three years instead of just for the next 11 months, uh, I think as a country we have some serious uh, uh, serious, serious problems. Um, and you know, it's funny. Uh, the Democrats in the in the 90s and the aughts uh, were really opposed to fixing... Uh, uh, they wanted to fix and change and limit immigration themselves because they felt that immigrants were affecting uh, the blue-collar middle class. Uh but now it's the Republicans that are, quote, fighting for the blue-collar middle class uh, as this fear that there's economic pressures from immigration, which there are not, um, and that we're losing a culture. Uh, and this is what's hilarious. P- you know, people think that we're not going to speak English anymore, uh, becoming bilingual. Uh, this is a frustration of, of Trump voters that we're losing our country. And yet, David, as an immigration lawyer, as somebody who sits with immigrants all day long and speaks to them in English, uh, I can tell you that's not the case. And it is no different from my grandparents uh, who immigrated from Germany in the 19, in 1929, 1931, would sit around their house and they would speak German. And they would go to the German delicatessen and the German restaurant. And the German social I grew up going to German social club. You know, I would say with my grandparents, they were, and I didn't speak German. For me, it was like I might have been going to Mars. You're laughing, David. Have you have you experienced this? I, I, I was just saying, you thought you were German until you sent your DNA in and to uh, and apparently Latino uh, ancestry. Dot com, right? <laughs> and, so I, and I found I, out that you were an American. America. Wow. So I, I grew up going to these German social club. My dad went to these. My dad was a Mason. I don't know if you were ever a Mason, David, but my dad was a Mason. And his first Masonic Lodge was German. Uh, when my dad passed away, I had his German Bible from when he became a Mason. That was my dad's culture. It was my parent. But I don't speak German. This idea that, that immigrants retain their, their identity for generations is simply not true. It's just not true. And... Anybody who has had any immigrant relatives will tell you the exact same thing. David, I had this wonderful young man come into my office yesterday. He just joined the Army uh, last year. 
Um, and I asked him what his uh, assignment was. He said, uh, I'm a firefighter. And I forget what unit he belongs to. Uh, I said, well, are you going to be a ranger? He said, no. <laughs> I don't want to be. I want to be a firefighter. Um, and he wants to help his dad immigrate to the United States. In this case, he can because his dad entered legally. This kid talked David talked like this. He grew up down there in South Georgia. He was just a delightful young man. Yes, sir. No, sir. Um, and I said, look, I, I need you to do some stuff. And uh, I, your dad speaks, you know, he speaks some English, but he speaks mostly Spanish from El Salvador. Um, I, I need him to fill this stuff up. Uh, do you want to see it in English or Spanish? He said, well, I don't speak Spanish, and I don't read Spanish. So this is one generation. That's it. So this idea we're losing our culture is uh, it's just not true. You know, and I understand fear. Uh, people are afraid of the unknown. They're afraid of the new. Americans have always been afraid of the new, uh, the different, the change, uh, which is why we fought against change, which is why the know-nothings rose to power in the 1850s, which is why we passed the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1880s, which is why we had restrictive immigration from 1922 all through 1965. Because we were afraid of the new, but we are such a powerful country when we're not afraid. We're such a powerful country when we let and bring immigrants to America, properly vetted, properly watched at, uh, you know, people that really come here to be with their families, to be with, uh, to do jobs that, that, that they are certified for as no U.S. workers. Uh, that's, uh, you know, this is why. I mean, this is, this is why the Democrats are going to have, continue to be a problem. Um, but it is, uh, I think there's going to be this bump here. Um, and um, and I, I am concerned uh, for the Democrats uh, that they are not really going to um, uh, turn out the votes. Um, I, I, uh, most voters, immigration is not the number one issue. Um, and if, uh, if Trump would sign a deal on immigration, if he gave DACA kids, Dreamer kids, a green card, the... I think he seals the Democrats' fate in the midterm. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm just not convinced the Democrats are going to be able to turn out in a way um, they're going to be able to motivate people in a way that, that gets them ready for uh, these midterm elections and encourages them about, uh, about the opportunities not only to help immigrants but to really help have a counterbalance in Washington. And this is true, I think, and the Republicans felt the same way, I believe, David, in 2009 and 2010, when the, the Dems controlled everything. And uh, they, they fought and they fought and they fought, and they fought in an, in an intelligent, smart way and very passionately with the, with the Tea Party to get back control. Uh, the Democrats just don't have that in them. They just, maybe, they, maybe they're too nice, maybe they're like Canadian, maybe they're too nice, uh, maybe they're incompetent. Um, but uh, to date, I do not see uh, the Democrats getting the necessary control uh, of the Congress in this next legislation because that's all that's all the dreamers have at this point. They have to motivate American citizens to come out and vote, get a Democratic House. And you have a Democratic House and a, and a pretty evenly split Senate, uh, then I think uh, uh, Trump's got a deal because particularly if if the if the House becomes Democratic, then the investigation machine revs up, uh, much like it revved up on the fake conspiracy of Benghazi and, and, and Hillary's emails. Um, and, of course, the t let's not forget the tan suit episode. Uh, I think there is going to be a massive 
uh, turnout uh, against Trump if the House is in, in Democratic hands on investigation. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado. Con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración, conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I want to switch gears a little bit here because uh, some somebody in the, in the in the political class finally woke up a little bit on immigration and uh, and how our system works. Now, David, you know there are there are basically four ways to immigrate to America. Uh, uh, you have uh, family based immigration, which accounts for around four hundred seventy five thousand green cards uh, plus. Another four hundred or five hundred thousand of immediate relatives—that's spouses, parents, and minor and minor children under twenty-one children of U.S. citizens. So that's about eight fifty to nine hundred thousand people a year. Two, we have the employment-based categories, which allow in one hundred and forty thousand people a year, and then we have the other two categories. One is people who have are refugees or asylees. In any given year, that might be for green cards. 80,000, 90,000 people, um, uh, or 50,000 now Now that Trump's in office. Uh, and then the last is the diversity lottery, the green card lottery, uh, which accounts for another 50,000. Now, the lottery's under attack. We, we've talked about the lottery before, but I, I want to look at the idea of, uh, of creating a merit-based system to immigrate to America, David, a merit-based system. And here, here is the, the secret that nobody's talking about. We already have a merit-based system to immigrate to America because our employment-based system is, in fact, a merit-based system. There are five categories of people that can immigrate through employment. First, you have individuals, uh, which are considered first preference, the most important category, uh, people of extraordinary ability. You won a Nobel Prize. You are a prominent researcher. You are a prominent business guy. Uh, if you can show that you are in the top of the top of your field, you can come to. We'll give you a green card. We'll give you a green card. Uh, that's that's one A. One B are outstanding researchers and professors. You know, universities, uh, private company people have. You know, they're really top of their field. 
And then three, what we call multinational managers and executives. Coca-Cola wants to bring over the, the guy they want to, from England that they want to teach the secret formula to. Uh, those are called EB1s. And any given year, there are 40,000 green cards given. Now, not 40,000 people who get green cards as extraordinary ability, multinational managers, but their families too. So average family size is three. Yeah, it's about, let's say, 15,000 actual workers, employees in that category. That's EB1. EB2, is that, that's merit-based, don't you think? I mean, that's you, you, you're getting here on your merit. EB2 uh, has two, two categories, EB1, EB2A, 2B. Uh, 2A is for uh, people with master's degrees or higher, PhDs. Uh, and the second is people of exceptional ability. Hey, you're not extraordinary, but David, you're exceptional. And the way you immigrate through this category is you have to show either that there's no qualified U.S. workers for your job, no qual- none. You advertise in the paper there's nobody qualified for your job where you want to work, or that your coming here is in the national interest. I mean, you're going to benefit America. That's merit-based, right? Say yes, David. That's, merit- that's, that's clearly merit-based. So what they call immigration to the national interest. So, for example, I'll give you a great idea, a great, great, great uh, example, David. Uh, an individual who is a, uh, let's say he's a young researcher. He's got a Ph.D., he's at the CDC, uh, working, and he's working at, York, at Emory, working at Yerkes, and they're doing research on HIV. And his, uh, his discovery is leading to a treatment for HIV uh, that basically eliminates the risk of dying from HIV. That in the national interest? Yeah, clearly is. What about somebody who is invented a new polymer that allows uh, Boeing to create lighter aircraft uh, to, uh, that is impermeable to, um, uh, to gunshots and bombs. Would that be in the natural interest? Yeah. I mean, David, you laugh about that, but trust me, you shouldn't laugh about that. What about a new pillow? A new pillow would be. I got a crooked neck too this morning. Uh, um, but what what benefits America? You look at the healthcare system. You look at our defense. You look at our infrastructure. Uh, there's a variety of categories you can look at. And if you're coming here, is is going to make America better? Yeah, we'll let you in. That's clearly merit. That's what they're talking about. Merit based, right? You've got a you've got a master's degree, or you're just so darn good. We want you here. Okay, so. Uh do foreign governments ever get involved in trying to get keep their people? Well, no, <laughs> to send their people. Most foreign governments don't want the people to leave. If you, uh, in fact, France is actually involved in an effort right now to attract people like this because they're saying, "Hey, we're not America. We'll treat you nicely. Come to America," and they're attracting Americans to go over there. Um, so this is this is so. If Trump's talking about a merit-based system. Those two categories are clearly merit-based. Third preference, EB3. EB3 is for people, has three categories, uh, EB3-1, EB3, EB3-A, EB3-B, EB3-C. One, people with bachelor's degrees. Two, people that are skilled workers, that is any job that requires two years of experience, or unskilled workers, for which we allot 10,000 green cards a year. In every one of those, David, the potential employer, it has to be a U.S. employer, has to show... There's no qualified workers. There's nobody to do this job. Well, that would be merit-based, right? All right. Uh, fourth preference category. Uh, this is EB4. David, this is for uh, 
certain religious workers uh, in America, certain religious workers, um, and uh, there are only ten. There's there's forty thousand in first, forty thousand in second, forty thousand in third, only ten thousand in the fourth, uh, and uh, that allots ten thousand uh, religious workers. Or David, this is actually a weird category. Also allocates special immigrant juveniles. These are you know the kids that come across the border. Uh, if they are if they are orphans or they're found to be wards of the state, we actually they have a, we have a green card for them in the United States. Uh, that's only ten thousand a year. That's not necessarily merit based, although the religious worker part would be. Uh, and again, you you are coming to work at a religious organization in America, uh, and you qualify. And it's because there, there aren't enough, particularly particularly true in the Roman Catholic faith, but there aren't enough individuals going into that. And David, the fifth preference category, which is again merit based is the investor category. I'm going to invest a half a million or a million dollars, and that's soon to go up to 1.2 and $1.7 million, and I'm going to create 10 jobs. Also, clearly merit-based. So we have a merit-based system already in place, David, and here's the truth that no one is talking about, about our merit-based system. Uh, altogether, that's 140,000 green cards, Technically, probably somewhere around 45,000 actual workers. So 45,000 actual merit-based workers coming to America, apart from the family immigration, 45,000 a year. And here, get this, David. Unless you're from China or India, there's no waiting line. Now think about that. That means the entire rest of the world... Altogether, including Mexico, and you know a little bit in the Philippines, but including Mexico, there is no waiting line. So if you want to get a green card, and you have you're in the first preference, second preference, or you can find a job in America, you can get a green card in about 18 months. There's no waiting line. That's just processing time. That's maybe the secret here that nobody's talking about. So you want to create a merit-based system. You don't need to. If you take China and India apart and say, look, there's a lot of Chinese coming here. The Chinese got a waiting line of about eight or ten years, maybe a little bit less. India's got a waiting line of forever. You know, they're just a lot of Indians, IT guys mostly, uh, and gals. Uh, if you take, they're going to take them separately and we're going to treat them apart. The rest of the world is not sending us enough people to even meet the small quotas we already have. Why is nobody talking about this? You know, uh, and, and maybe it's because if we talked about it, we would realize that we don't need to change our legal immigration system and eliminate family-based immigration. Maybe the anti-people aren't talking about it because they know, oh, we, 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 have limited, we have limited legal immigration anyway, because people aren't coming to America. They're not getting jobs. They're, they, they are not coming in the volume you think they're coming. And so if you eliminate family-based immigration, we in fact do basically eliminate immigration to America for a generation. Could it be, you know, if you go back, David, and look at these charts, and you go back a decade, you would see waiting lines in all of them. And now you don't. And you don't see it in all of them because something's changed in the world. 
the world has gotten better. People aren't immigrating as much, to us at least. Uh, Europe is more open than it's ever been to immigration. Uh, and people aren't leaving their, quote, third world countries because they're not necessarily third world countries anymore. They might be a second world country. If you can stay close to your family and you can provide for your family and you can get your, you can buy a car and you can have a television and you can go to the movies and you can go out to eat when you want to, why would you go to a different country to do those exact same things? Unless you had an idea or just simply desired to move, some sort of wanderlust, or believed you could make a bigger difference or had a fear in your country of some reason, why would you leave? And if you really wanted to leave, the door is wide open. The door is open if you want to immigrate legally to America uh, without relying on a spouse, without relying on family. Uh, if you can apply, if you have an employer friend in America who will sponsor you, you can immigrate. And you can do it quickly. Uh, you don't have to have a million dollars, although having that, you know. And get this, David. So if you have an employer, let's say you're a cook, you're a Mexican cook. And there's a Mexican restaurant in America because we want to immigrate you to America. Great. In 18 months, that person will be here working on a green card for your restaurant. If you're a million-dollar investor, it's going to take you almost two and a half years to get here. So it's faster to immigrate to America as a cook than it is as a million-dollar immigrant is going to create 10 jobs. That's, that's what nobody's talking about. That's... That's what the politicians talk about people not being educated. That's what the uneducated politicians are not realizing. Is we have a merit-based system. We don't need to create another one. That's what part of this Dream Act proposal was to take half of the um, diversity lottery cases and turn them into a merit-based system where there's a point system, points for this, points for that. Well, you don't even need that. You just need a way to contact a US employer to sponsor you to immigrate to America. You know, I'm actually going to Peru in a couple of weeks, David. Uh, you want to come with me? No, you can't yet. Altitude. You can't go where it's high altitude yet. Got to get that heart stronger, David. Um, so we're going to Peru, and we're going to give a talk about this, about how people legally immigrate to America, how to do it. And it's not unattainable. Uh, it is doable. It is an option. It is reachable. And it's reachable for anybody in any job. David, if you wanted to bring in a, a caregiver for you in your old age, now, let's say you want somebody who's going to work for you uh, in your house 40 hours a week to care for you. You can do that today. You can't bring them here on a visa. There's no work visa for this. But you can bring them here on a green card in 18 months. Right now. That's the immigration system right now. Uh, but if you want to immigrate through family, David, this is, this is the other part. The hordes of flooding the border through family... Uh, and my good friend, uh, my friend Austin Peed, Austin, uh, Austin is, Dustin Peed, sorry, Dustin, you're probably listening to this and I probably got your name. I keep wanting to say Austin Peed for some reason. It's Dustin Peed. He is a former immigration judge, uh, currently a federal magistrate in Utah. He gave a great talk over the weekend at a conference I was at in Utah. And he focused a part about this. He, he tried to educate people about the wait times. And he chose the fastest wait times, not the Mexican wait times. Because there's also... Six ways to immigrate through family. First, of course, is if you get married. Or you're, you're under 21, your dad's a citizen, or your kid's a citizen, you can, you can immigrate right away. That takes about 18 months, processing time. Um, but if you want to immigrate through other family, this idea that your uncle can immigrate you is simply not true. Um, 
So if you are the unmarried adult over 21 single child of a U.S. citizen and your dad files for you, it's going to take you about six years to eight years to get a green card unless you're Mexican, and then it will take 30 to 40 years. Um, you're, uh, if you're married as the child of a U.S. citizen um, and they sponsor you today, it's going to take you about 15 years unless you're Mexican, and then it will take about 40 or 50 years. Um, and if you are the brother or sister of a U.S. citizen and you want to immigrate, it'll take you about mm, probably about 18 years uh, unless you're Mexican, and then it will take about 120. Let's take a break here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Soy Charles Cook, abogado y jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Llámenos hoy si usted tiene problemas con inmigración, si ha sido arrestado, si se casó con un ciudadano o tiene una oferta de trabajo. Nosotros le podemos ayudar. También podemos explicar cómo, qué puedes hacer para recibir los beneficios de inmigración. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, 404-816-8611, o visítenos por el internet a www.immigration.net. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. David, I also want to finish up. If you are a permanent resident, you can't sponsor your parents, you can't sponsor siblings. You can sponsor your spouse That takes and your, and your minor children. That takes about two and a half years. Um, you can sponsor your adult unmarried children. Uh, that takes about six or seven years if you remain a permanent resident um, if you hopefully become a citizen unless you're Mexican and it takes about 30 or 40 years uh, the thing is though David in these family based categories there are over 4 million people waiting in this line a good chunk of them are in the United States is, is the dirty little secret um, now could any of those people immigrate through merit based immigration I don't know Probably only a few of them, not certainly not all of them. Um, but we talk about culture. You know, Americans, uh, you know, white Americans are afraid their culture is being overrun. By whom? People who go to church on Sunday, people who believe in creating businesses. Sixty percent of the new businesses in America in the last decade have been created by immigrants. Um, there are that are that are uh, anti-abortion, that are pro-family. Uh, what are they really afraid of other than the culture? Well, what, what about the culture is bad? Well, nothing. Uh, and in fact, what's interesting is um, the, the proposal the Trump administration wanted Congress to pass eliminated every one of these categories that I just described to you. Every one of them is gone. Eliminated. 
you can't immigrate siblings, you can't immigrate uh, parents, you can't immigrate uh, uh, adult children, you can't, uh, you, and any child over 18, just gone. So here's my question. If people are family, immigrants are mostly family-oriented, and many of them now come from smaller families uh, where, you know, the job of the child is to take care of the parents when they're older, uh, and you say, well, you can't bring your parents in. Oh, you can get a visa. But not that's not how it works. You bring your parents in, you can care for them. Uh, parents like that can't access insurance, uh, can't access welfare. They can't access Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, and so they are cared for by their children, and they're raised to care for them. That's the culture they come from. And we don't want them to come? It, it was truly very much an anti-family piece of legislation, a truly anti-family piece of legislation. While, uh, while I was uh, taking my three-week hiatus vacation. Your sabbatical uh, in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to uh, watch more TV than a person <laughs> deserves. In fact, it, it slowly but surely became torture in its own way. But good old Charles Cook has... Uh, I think I've, I'm, I'm over the ten years that you've been on, or whatever. I think I must, I must have a Charles Cook IV or something. That this, <laughs> I keep getting a drip of all this information. But my point being was that I was amazed at how stupid your legislators are. In that, uh, you know, one of them would get on and rant and rave about we can't keep giving away to immigrants, illegal immigrants, all the welfare that we're, you know. <laughs> and you're going, wait a second, they yeah, get welfare. This, they can't get it. And, um, I mean, and it was, and then then you'd have some dumb newscaster jump in the middle of it and, and uh, you know, give, give his or her opinion that we're just giving away the farm to the illegals. <laughs> and um, I just kept thinking about you and, and uh, you know, it's it's like, we talked earlier off air every show that we do comes back down to public education i agree it's, Pe- people need to learn this stuff they need to learn immigration they need to learn obamacare they need to learn what you know i'm not a believer in being vaccinated for everything hangnails and everything so the first thing they wanted to do when I went in the hospital, have you had your flu vaccination? No. Well, we're going to get. No, you're not. I'm declining. I don't want it. I don't. I'm not. And you have the right to. So as I got involved with many other things in the hospital, they would try to force something on me or, or tell me, well, because of what you just had, you've got to have this procedure or whatever. No, I don't. We have rights. Oh, I agree. And, you and, but you can't exercise them. rights that you aren't aware of. That's exactly it. You cannot and exercise. I, I shocked some people when I, well, for instance, a one of my specialists wanted to pawn his uh, PA off on me. And I said, no, I'm paying for you. I'm not paying for him. It actually, it was a her. And she was a lot better looking than him, but... <laughs> You know, still, I wanted the best. I want the expertise. Yeah. And uh, a PA is not a doctor. 
Right, it's like a paralegal's not a lawyer. I mean, it's the same thing. And and David, you know, people say ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is also wildly dangerous. Uh, and that's what we really learned in this debate. Most of the senators who were voting on this bill, one had not read them. Oh, you know, what I, yeah, we'll pass it and then we'll read remember the big thing. I can't believe they didn't read Obamacare. Well, they didn't read the budget bill. They didn't read the the fifteen page bill they were voting on. They didn't read anything. It doesn't matter that a bill is a thousand pages. It doesn't matter because it could be one page. They don't read it, and if you don't read it, you cannot know what's in. It. And the problem is, a lot of these bills, you, even if you read it, unless you're sitting with a cross reference of the federal code in front of you with somebody to interpret. Okay, this is what that means in that context. You're never going to understand it, which is why they try to bring specialists on board. But these specialists are—you can't be specialists in forty different things. So most of them didn't even know what they were voting for or voting against. Why would it be in America's national interest to eliminate family-based immigration? Why would that be in America's natural interest? Can anybody tell me why? You know why they can't? Because it's not. They were voting on stuff that had had no congressional hearings, that had no uh, economic analysis, that had no input from the public, um, and what did you get? You get ignorantly issued and written no votes on a bill that would have substantially changed the life outcome of millions of Americans going forward, would have made our economy stronger, would have sustained a population in a way that would have taken more people off the government dole, and yet they, they vote against it because... They get a couple phone calls. And I do want to give a shout-out, David, to Johnny Isaacson. Uh, Johnny voted for the DREAM Act uh, on uh, on Thursday last week. Uh, And I know he was – I initially said they weren't taking calls, but they were taking calls. Uh, They were getting inundated with calls. And I want to thank Johnny Isaacson for doing what's right and once again pointing out that David Perdue remains a flaming racist uh, who hates immigrants. Uh, and uh, I pray that a decent Republican Democrat runs against him and ensures that he is in no way ever again a United States senator. Um, I think he runs a real risk running in 2020 uh, uh, on a Trump ticket. Uh, and if the Democrats put up a decent candidate, I could easily see Purdue going down in flames, but I do want—I do want to thank Johnny for voting for what was right uh, here, uh, despite the fact that I'm sure he got some pushback. You know, David, it's easy to vote for that when it's your last term in office and you don't have to be accountable to anybody anymore. Clearly, Johnny's not running for re-election again, but that didn't stop Orrin Hatch from voting against the bill that he that he wrote. 20 years ago or 18 years ago. Uh, it did not stop other politics, other Republicans, Rubio, Rubio, who said we want a limited bill, and he votes against the limited bill, and instead he votes for the crap bill. Now, here's what's interesting. The Trump bill, the only, uh, as, we, as, we, as we phase back, as the last part of our program, we phase back to these bills, the Trump bill, this is the Grassley, Cotton, Purdue bill, got the least number of votes of any bill put forward. 39 votes. Trump's position could not garner even all of the votes. He got 80% of the votes of the Republicans in the, in the Senate, 80%, along with, of course, no Democrat votes. So Trump's plan has zero chance of moving forward, zero. Now, they might pass it out of the Senate, although I don't, out of the House, although I don't think they will. Um, but it has zero chance in the Senate. And so now we're faced with, David, of looking at... Um, Looking at a situation where we have uh, 
no possibility of any real immigration plan uh, at any time uh, at, at, in the next year, in the next 11 months. Uh, Congress is clearly going to adjourn. Do you know when they're going to adjourn yet? Do we have the calendar for the year? Uh, for the fall elections, I'd imagine Republicans are going to want to get out of town as quickly as possible because they got a lot of campaigning to do to stay in office. Uh, the Democrats are, I think, are now fielding a candidate in every single congressional race. And I know there are a number of Republicans that are facing uh, primary opposition from the truly crazy part of the party. Um, and uh, I, I am just kind of believing they're probably going to probably blow out of town early uh, to uh, to try to stay in office. Now, as we conclude, I want to talk about Mitt Romney. I was in Utah this week, David, uh, when, when Romney announced. He was going to announce on Thursday, by the way, and, of course, the event. Have you watched the Romney video announcement? Uh, David, uh, you should watch it. You should watch it. Uh, and uh, uh, CNN's got it, of course, along with probably Rom- electromney.com or whatever his website is. Uh, here's what he said, quote, Utah welcomes legal immigrants from around the world. Washington sends immigrants a message of exclusion. Now, he didn't mention Donald Trump by name, and he actually accepted Donald Trump's endorsement of him today. Uh, but what could you do? I mean, you, you know, you got to do that. Um, but he was clearly expressing his disdain for Trump's derogatory comments, as well as Trump's recent pronouncement that he wanted less immigrants from the uh, crap hole countries. Um, it was, it's a much gentler and much different tone than when he ran on the self-deportation of immigrants back in the press. But the reality is that the LDS Church has taken a very progressive stance on, on immigration, and Mormons generally have a generally have a very progressive stance on immigration because of our, of our two-year missions that we serve abroad. Um, I am uh, just going to be curious whether uh, Utah, which itself is a bunch of exiles pushed out of other parts of the country and around the world, to understand that immigration is a great power for America. Utah itself is built on the backs of immigrants, uh, and it is something that I, I would see uh, um, uh, really, and hope to see going forward, very much a um, uh, a Romney candidacy that stands against uh, the Trump nightmare uh, that is sucking the lifeblood out of the goodness that is America. Let's uh, we'll be back next week on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, David, looking forward to it, and we're going to talk more about what's going on in immigration around the world on the most listened to podcast in the known universe on immigration, the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866 866- 
866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. If you wish, you can also get more information. 